0: there, and welcome to tonight's episode of Down to Sleep. This is the podcast of softly spoken stories to help you get a good night's rest. Every week, I read books to you to help you get down to sleep tonight. You can listen to this podcast every week for free on podcast apps and Spotify, or you can join me on Patreon to get access to every single episode and completed audiobooks so far, as well as two episodes every week. That's one whole extra episode. You can find all of the links to do that below this video. Thank you for joining me tonight. Let's go ahead and tuck you in. But before we do, please do hit that like button and subscribe if you haven't already to help this channel grow. Now take a nice deep breath for me and let's get down to sleep. i had never given much thought to how I would die, though I'd had reason enough in the last few months. But even if I had, I would not have imagined it like this. I stared without breathing across the long room, into the dark eyes of the hunter, and he looked pleasantly back at me. Surely it was a good way to die, in the place of someone else, someone I loved. Noble, even. That ought to count for something. I knew that if I'd never gone to Forks, I wouldn't be facing death now, but terrified as I was, I couldn't bring myself to regret the decision. When life offers you a dream so far beyond any of your expectations, it's not reasonable to grieve when it comes to an end. The hunter smiled in a friendly way as he sauntered forward to kill me. Chapter 1. First Sight My mother drove me to the airport with the windows rolled down. It was 75 degrees in Phoenix, the sky a perfect cloudless blue. I was wearing my favorite shirt, sleeveless white eyelet lace. I was wearing it as a farewell gesture. My carry-on item was a parka. In the Olympic Peninsula of northwest Washington State, a small town named Forks exists under a near-constant cover of clouds. It rains on this inconsequential town more than any other place in the United States of America. It was from this town and its gloomy, omnipresent shade that my mother escaped with me when I was only a few months old. It was in this town that I'd been compelled to spend a month every summer until I was 14. That was the year that I finally put my foot down. These past three summers, my dad Charlie vacationed with me in California for two weeks instead. It was to Forks that I now exiled myself, an action that I took with great horror. I detested Forks. I loved Phoenix. I loved the sun and the blistering heat. I loved the vigorous, sprawling city. Bella, my mum said to me the last of a thousand times before I got on the plane, you don't have to do this. My mum looks like me except with short hair and laugh lines. I felt a spasm of panic as I stared at her wide, childlike eyes. How could I leave my loving, erratic, hair-brained mother to fend for herself? Of course, she had Phil now, so the bills would get paid. There would be food in the refrigerator, gas in her car, and someone to call when she got lost, but still. I want to go, I lied. I'd always been a bad liar, but I'd been saying this lie so frequently lately that it sounded almost convincing now. Tell Charlie I said hi. I will. I'll see you soon, she insisted. You can come home whenever you want. I'll come right back as soon as you need me. But I could see the sacrifice in her eyes behind the promise. Don't worry about me, I urged. It'll be great. I love you, Mum. She hugged me tightly for a minute, and then I got on the plane and she was gone. It's a four-hour flight from Phoenix to Seattle, another hour in a small plane up to Port Angeles, and then an hour drive back down to Forks. Flying doesn't bother me. The hour in the car with Charlie, though, I was a little worried about. Charlie had been fairly nice about the whole thing. He seemed genuinely pleased that I was coming to live with him for the first time with any degree of permanence. He'd already gotten me registered for high school and was going to help me get a car. But it was sure to be awkward with Charlie. Neither of us was what anyone would call a verbose, and I didn't know what there was to say regardless. I knew he was more than a little confused by my decision. Like my mother before me, I hadn't made a secret of my distaste for Forks. When I landed in Port Angeles, it was raining. I didn't see it as an omen, just unavoidable. I'd already said my goodbyes to the sun. Charlie was waiting for me, with the cruiser. This I was expecting, too. Charlie as police chief swan to the good people of Forks. My primary motivation behind buying a car despite the scarcity of my funds was that I refused to be driven around town in a car with red and blue lights on top. Nothing slows down traffic like a cop. Charlie gave me an awkward one-armed hug when I stumbled my way off the plane. It's good to see you, Bells, he said, smiling as he automatically caught and steadied me. You haven't changed much. How's Renee? Mum's fine. It's good to see you too, Dad. I wasn't allowed to call him Charlie to his face. I had only a few bags, most of my Arizona clothes were too permeable for Washington. My mum and I had pooled our resources to supplement my winter wardrobe, but it was still scanty. It all fit easily into the trunk of the cruiser. I found a good car for you, really cheap, he announced when we were strapped in. What kind of car? I was suspicious of the way he said, good car for you, as opposed to just, good car. Well, it's a truck, actually. A Chevy. Where did you find it? Do you remember Billy Black, down at La Push? La Push is the tiny Indian reservation on the coast. No. He used to go fishing with us during the summer, Charlie prompted. That would explain why I didn't remember him. I do a good job of blocking painful, unnecessary things from my memory. He's in a wheelchair now, Charlie continued so he can't drive anymore and he offered to sell me his truck cheap what year is it? I could see from his change of expression that this was the question he was hoping I wouldn't ask well, Billy's done a lot of work on the engine it's only a few years old really I hoped he didn't think so little of me as to believe that I would give up that easily when did he buy it? he bought it in 1984 I think Did he buy it new? Well, no I think it was new in the early 60s Or late 50s at the earliest He admitted sheepishly Dad I don't really know anything about cars I wouldn't be able to fix it if anything went wrong And I couldn't afford a mechanic Really, Bella, the thing runs great They don't build them like that anymore The thing, I thought to myself It had possibilities as a nickname at the very least How cheap is cheap. After all, this was the part that I couldn't compromise on. Well, honey, I kind of already bought it for you. As a homecoming gift. Charlie peeked sideways at me with a hopeful expression. Wow. Free. You didn't need to do that, Dad. I was going to buy myself a car. I don't mind. I want you to be happy here. He was looking ahead at the road when he said this. "'Charlie wasn't comfortable with expressing his emotions out loud. "'I inherited that from him. "'So I was looking straight ahead as I responded. "'That's really nice, Dad. Thanks. "'I really appreciate it. "'No need to add that my being happy in forks is an impossibility. "'He didn't need to suffer along with me, "'and I never looked a free truck in the mouth. "'Or engine. "'Well, now, you're welcome,' he mumbled, "'embarrassed by my thanks.' We exchanged a few more comments on the weather which was wet and that was pretty much it for the conversation. We stared out of the windows in silence. It was beautiful of course, I couldn't deny that. Everything was green, the trees, their trunks covered with moss, branches hanging with canopy of it, the ground covered with ferns. Even the air filtered down greenly through the leaves. It was too green. An alien planet. Eventually, we made it to Charlie's. He still lived in a small two-bedroom house that he'd bought with my mother in the early days of their marriage. Those were the only kind of days their marriage had. Early ones. There, parked on the street in front of the house that never changed, was my new, well, new to me, truck. It was a faded red colour, with big rounded fenders and a bulbous cab. To my intense surprise, I loved it. I didn't know if it would run, but I could see myself in it. Plus, it was one of those solid iron affairs that never gets damaged. The kind you see at the scene of an accident, paint unscratched, surrounded by pieces of the foreign car it had destroyed. Wow, Dad, I love it, thanks. Now my horrific day tomorrow would be just that much less dreadful. I wouldn't be faced with the choice of walking two miles in the rain to school, or accepting a ride in the Chief's Cruiser. I'm glad you like it, Charlie said, gruffly, embarrassed again. It took only one trip to get all my stuff upstairs. I got the west bedroom that faced out over the front yard. The room was familiar. It had belonged to me since I was born. The wooden floor, the light blue walls, the peaked ceiling, the yellowed lace curtains around the window. These were all a part of my childhood. The only changes Charlie had ever made was switching the crib for a bed and adding a desk as I grew. The desk now held a second-hand computer with the phone line for the modem stapled along the floor to the nearest phone jack. This was a stipulation from my mother, so that we could stay in touch easily. The rocking chair from my baby days was still in the corner. There was only one small bathroom at the top of the stairs, I was trying not to dwell too much on the fact that I would have to share it with Charlie. One of the best things about Charlie is he doesn't hover. He left me alone to unpack and get settled, a feat that would have been altogether impossible for my mother. It was nice to be alone, not to have to smile and look pleased. A relief to stare dejectedly out of the window at the sheeting rain and just let a few tears escape. I wasn't in the mood to go on a real crying jag I would save it for bedtime, when I'd have time to think about the coming morning. Forks High School had a frightening total of only 357, now 58, students. There were more than 700 people in my junior class alone back home. All the kids here had grown up together. Their grandparents had been toddlers together. I would be the new girl from the big city. A curiosity... A freak. Maybe if I looked like a girl from Phoenix should, I could work this to my advantage, but... Physically, I'd never fit in anywhere. I should be tan, sporty, and blonde, a volleyball player, or a cheerleader, perhaps. All the things that go with living in the valley of the sun. Instead, I was... Ivory-skinned, without even the excuse of blue eyes or red hair. Despite constant sunshine. I had always been slender... Soft somehow, obviously not an athlete. I didn't have the necessary hand-eye coordination to play sports without humiliating myself and harming myself when anyone else who stood too close. When I finished putting my clothes in the old pine dresser, I took my bag of bathroom necessities and went to the communal bathroom to clean myself up after a day of travel. I looked at my face in the mirror as I brushed through my tangled, damp hair. Maybe it was the light, but already I looked sallower, unhealthy. My skin could be pretty, it was very clear, almost translucent looking, but it all depended on colour and I had no colour here. Facing my pallid reflection in the mirror, I was forced to admit that I was lying to myself. It wasn't just physically that I'd never fit in, and if I couldn't find a niche in a school with 3,000 people, what were my chances here? I didn't relate well to people my age. Maybe the truth was that I didn't relate well to people, period. Even my mother, who I was closer to than anyone else on the planet, was never in harmony with me, never on exactly the same page. Sometimes I wondered if I was seeing the same things through my eyes that the rest of the world was seeing through theirs. Maybe there was a glitch in my brain. But the cause didn't matter. All that mattered was the effect, and tomorrow would be just the beginning. I didn't sleep well that night, even after I was done crying. The constant whooshing of the rain and wind across the roof wouldn't fade into the background. I pulled the faded old quilt over my head and later added the pillow too. But I couldn't fall asleep until after midnight, when the rain finally settled into a quieter drizzle. Thick fog was all I could see out my window in the morning, and I could feel the claustrophobia creeping up on me. You could never see the sky here. It was like a cage. Breakfast with Charlie was a quiet event. He wished me good luck at school. I thanked him, knowing his hope was wasted. Good luck tended to avoid me. Charlie left first, off to the police station that was his wife and family, After he left, I sat at the old square oak table in one of three unmatching chairs and examined his small kitchen, with its dark panelled walls, bright yellow cabinets, and white linoleum floor. Nothing was changed. My mother had painted the cabinets 18 years ago in an attempt to bring sunshine to the house. Over the small fireplace in the adjoining handkerchief-sized family room was a row of pictures. First, a wedding picture of Charlie and my mum in Las Vegas. Then one of the three of us in the hospital after I was born, taken by a helpful nurse, followed by a procession of my school pictures up to the last years. Those were embarrassing to look at. I would have to see what I could do to get Charlie to put them somewhere else, at least whilst I was living here. It was impossible, being in this house, not to realise that Charlie had never gotten over my mum. It made me uncomfortable. I didn't want to be too early to school, but I couldn't stay in the house anymore. I donned my jacket, which had the feel of a biohazard suit, and headed out into the rain. It was just drizzling still, not enough to soak me through immediately. As I reached for the house key that was always hidden under the eaves by the door and locked up, the sloshing of my new waterproof boots was unnerving. I missed the normal crunch of gravel as I walked. I couldn't pause and admire my truck again as I wanted. I was in a hurry to get out of the misty wet that swelled around my head and clung to my hair under my hood. Inside the truck, it was nice and dry. Either Billy or Charlie had obviously cleaned it up, but the tan upholstered seats still smelled faintly of tobacco, gasoline and peppermint. The engine started quickly to my relief, but loudly, roaring to life and then idling at top volume. Well, a truck this old was bound to have a floor. The antique radio worked, a plus that I hadn't expected. Finding the school wasn't difficult, though I'd never been there before. The school was, like most other things, just off the highway. It was not obvious that it was a school, only the sign which declared it to be Forks High School made me stop. It looked like a collection of matching houses built with maroon-coloured bricks, There were so many trees and shrubs I couldn't see its size at first. Where was the feel of the institution, I wondered nostalgically. Where were the chain-link fences, the metal detectors? I parked in front of the first building, which had a small sign over the door reading, Front Office. No one else was parked there, so I was sure it was off-limits. I decided that I would get directions inside instead of circling around in the rain like an idiot. I stepped unwillingly out of the toasty truck cab and walked down a little stone path lined with dark hedges. I took a deep breath before opening the door. Inside it was brightly lit, warmer than I'd hoped. The office was small. A little waiting area with padded folding chairs and orange-flecked commercial carpet, notices and awards cluttering the walls. A big clock ticking loudly. Plants grew everywhere in large plastic pots as if there wasn't enough greenery outside. The room was cut in half by a long counter, cluttered with wire baskets full of papers and brightly coloured flyers taped to its front. There were three desks behind the counter, one of which was manned by a large, red-haired woman wearing glasses. She was wearing a purple T-shirt, which immediately made me feel overdressed. The red-haired woman looked up. Can I help you? I'm Isabella Swan, I informed her, and saw the immediate awareness light her eyes. I was expected. A topic of gossip, no doubt. Daughter of the chief's flighty ex-wife come home at last. Of course, she said. She dug through a precariously stacked pile of documents on her desk until she found the one she was looking for. I have your schedule right here, and a map of the school. She brought several sheets to the counter to show me. She went through my classes for me, highlighting the best route to each on the map, and gave me a slip to have each teacher sign which I was to bring back at the end of the day. She smiled at me and hoped, like Charlie, that I would like it here in Forks. I smiled back as convincingly as I could. When I went back out to my truck, other students were starting to arrive. I drove around the school following the line of traffic. I was glad to see that most of the cars were older like mine, nothing flashy. At home, I'd lived in one of the few lower-income neighborhoods that were included in the Paradise Valley District. It was a common thing to see a new Mercedes or Porsche in the student lot. The nicest car here was a shiny Volvo, and it stood out. Still, I cut the engine as soon as I was in a spot so that the thunderous volume wouldn't draw attention to me. I looked at the map in the truck, trying to memorize it. Hopefully I wouldn't have to walk around with it stuck in front of my nose all day. I stuffed everything in my bag and slung the strap over my shoulder and sucked in a huge breath. I can do this. I lied to myself feebly. No one was going to bite me. I finally exhaled and stepped out of the truck. I kept my face pulled back into my hood as I walked to the sidewalk crowded with teenagers. My plain black jacket didn't stand out, I noticed with relief. Once I got around the cafeteria, Building 3 was easy to spot. A large black 3 was painted on a white square on the east corner. I felt my breathing gradually creeping towards hyperventilation as I approached the door. I tried holding my breath as I followed two unisex raincoats through the door. The classroom was small. The people in front of me stopped just inside the door to hang up their coats on a long row of hooks. I copied them. They were two girls... One a porcelain-colored blonde, the other also pale, with light brown hair. At least my skin wouldn't be a standout here. I took the slip up to the teacher, a tall, balding man whose desk had a nameplate identifying him as Mr. Mason. He gawked at me when he saw my name. Not an encouraging response. Of course, I flushed tomato red. At least he sent me to an empty desk at the back without introducing me to the class. It was harder for my new classmates to stare at me in the back, but somehow they managed. I kept my eyes down on the reading list that the teacher had given me. It was fairly basic. Bronte, Shakespeare, Chaucer, Faulkner. I'd already read everything. That was comforting. And boring. I wondered if my mum would send me my folder of old essays, or if she would think that was cheating. I went through different arguments with her in my head while the teacher droned on. When the bell rang, a nasal buzzing sound. A gangly boy with skin problems and hair black as an oil slick leaned across the aisle to talk to me. You're Isabella Swan, aren't you? He looked like the overly helpful chess club type. Bella, I corrected. Everyone within a three-seat radius turned to look at me. Where's your next class? He asked. I had to check my bag. Um, government? With Jefferson, Building 6. There was nowhere to look without meeting curious eyes. I'm headed towards building four. I could show you the way. Definitely overhelpful. I'm Eric, he added. I smiled tentatively. Thanks. We got our jackets and headed into the rain which had picked up. I could have sworn several people behind us were walking close enough to eavesdrop. I hoped I wasn't getting paranoid. So this is a lot different than Phoenix, huh? He asked. Very. Doesn't rain much there, does it? Three or four times a year? Wow. What must that be like, he wondered. Sunny, I told him. You don't look very tan. My mother's part albino. He studied my face apprehensively and I sighed. It looked like clouds and a sense of humor didn't mix. A few months of this and I'd forget how to use sarcasm. We walked back around the cafeteria to the south building by the gym. Eric walked me right to the door, though it was clearly marked. Well, good luck, he said as he touched the handle. Maybe we'll have some other classes together. He sounded hopeful. I smiled at him vaguely and went inside. The rest of the morning passed in about the same fashion. My trigonometry teacher, Mr. Varner, who I would have hated anyway just because of the subject he taught, was the only one who made me stand in front of the class and introduce myself. I stammered, blushed, and tripped over my own boots on the way to my seat. After two classes, I started to recognize several of the faces in each class. There was always someone braver than the others who would introduce themselves and ask me questions about how I was liking forks. I tried to be diplomatic, but mostly I just lied a lot. At least I never needed the map. One girl sat next to me in both Trig and Spanish, and she walked with me to the cafeteria for lunch. She was tiny, several inches shorter than my five feet four inches, but her wildly curly dark hair made up a lot of the difference between our heights. I couldn't remember her name, so I smiled and nodded as she prattled about teachers and classes, and I didn't try and keep up. We sat at the end of a full table with several of her friends who she introduced to me. I forgot all of their names as soon as she spoke them. They seemed impressed by her bravery in speaking to me. The boy from English, Eric, waved at me from across the room. It was there, sitting in the lunchroom, trying to make conversation with seven curious strangers that I first saw them. They were sitting in the corner of the cafeteria, as far away from where I sat as possible in the long room. There were five of them. They weren't talking and they weren't eating. They had a tray of untouched food in front of them. They weren't gawking at me unlike most of the other students, so it was safe to stare at them without fear of meeting an excessively interested pair of eyes. But it was none of these things that caught and held my attention. They didn't look anything alike. Of the three boys, one was big, muscled, like a serious weightlifter, with dark curly hair. Another was taller, leaner, but still muscular and honey blonde. The last was lanky, less bulky, with untidy bronze-coloured hair. He was more boyish than the others who looked like they could be in college, or even teachers here rather than students. The girls were opposites. The tall one was statuesque, she had a beautiful figure. The kind that you saw on the cover of Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. The kind that made every girl around her take a hit on her self-esteem just by being in the same room. Her hair was golden gently waving to the middle of her back. The short girl was pixie-like, thin in the extreme with small features. Her hair a deep black, cropped short and pointing in every direction. And yet, they were all exactly alike. Every one of them was chalky pale, the palest of all of the students living in this sunless town. Paler than me, the albino. They all had very dark eyes, despite the range in hair tones. They also had dark shadows under those eyes. Purplish, bruise-like shadows. As if they were all suffering from a sleepless night, or almost unrecovering from a broken nose. Though their noses, all their features were straight, perfect, angular. But all this is not why I couldn't look away. I stared because their faces, so different, so similar, were all devastatingly, inhumanly beautiful. They were the faces that you never expected to see except perhaps on airbrushed pages of a fashion magazine, or painted by an old master as the face of an angel. It was hard to decide who was the most beautiful. Maybe the perfect blonde girl or the bronze-haired boy. They were all looking away, away from each other, away from the other students, away from anything in particular as far as I could tell. As I watched, the small girl rose with her tray, unopened soda, unbitten apple, and walked away with a quick graceful lope that belonged on a runway. I watched, amazed at her lithe dancer's step, till she dumped her tray and glided through the back door, faster than I would have thought possible. My eyes darted back to the others who sat unchanging. Who are they? I asked, the girl from my Spanish class whose name I'd forgotten. As she looked up to see who I meant, though already knowing probably from my tone, suddenly he looked at her. The thinner one, the boyish one, the youngest perhaps. He looked at my neighbor for just a fraction of a second, and his dark eyes flickered to mine. He looked away quickly, more quickly than I could, though in a flush of embarrassment I dropped my eyes at once. In that brief flash of a glance, his face held nothing of interest. It was as if she had called his name and he had looked up in involuntary response, already having decided not to answer. My neighbor giggled in embarrassment, looking at the table like I did. That's Edward and Emmett Cullen, and Rosalie and Jasper Hale. The one who left was Alice Cullen. They all lived together with Dr. Cullen and his wife. She said this under her breath. I glanced sideways at the beautiful boy who was looking at his tray now, picking a bagel to pieces with long pale fingers. His mouth was moving very quickly, his perfect lips barely opening. The other three still looked away, and yet I felt he was speaking quietly to them. Strange, unpopular names, I thought. The kinds of names grandparents had. But maybe that was in vogue here. Small town names? I finally remembered that my neighbor was called Jessica, a perfectly common name. There were two girls named Jessica in my history class back home. They are very nice looking. I struggled with the conspicuous understatement. Yes, Jessica agreed with another giggle. They're all together, though. Emmett and Rosalie and Jasper and Alice, I mean. And they live together. Her voice held all the shock and condemnation of a small town. I thought critically, but if I was being honest, I had to admit that even in Phoenix it would cause gossip. Which ones are the Cullens? I asked. They don't look related. Oh they're not. Dr. Cullen is a really young, in his twenties or early thirties. They're all adopted. The Hales are brother and sister, twins, the blondes, and their foster children. They look a little old for foster children. They are now. Jasper and Rosalie are both eighteen, but they've been with Mrs. Cullen since they were eight. She's their aunt, or something like that. That's really kind of nice for them, to take care of all of those kids like that, when they're so young and everything. I guess so, Jessica admitted reluctantly. I got the impression she didn't like the doctor and his wife for some reason. With the glances that she was throwing at their adopted children, I would presume the reason was jealousy. I think Mrs. Cullen can't have any kids, though, she added, as if that lessened their kindness. Throughout all of this conversation, my eyes flickered again and again to the table where the strange family sat. They continued to look at the walls and not eat. Have they always lived in Forks? I asked. Surely I would have noticed them on one of my summers here. No, she said in a voice that implied it should be obvious, even to a new arrival like me. they just moved down here two years ago from somewhere in Alaska. I felt a surge of pity and relief. Pity because as beautiful as they were, they were outsiders, clearly not accepted. Relief that I wasn't the only newcomer here, and certainly not the most interesting by any standard. As I examined them, the youngest, one of the Cullens, looked up and met my gaze. This time with evident curiosity in his expression. As I looked swiftly away, it seemed to me that his glance held some kind of unmet expectation. Which one is the boy with the reddish-brown hair, I asked. I peeked at him from the corner of my eye, and he was still staring at me, but not gawking like the other students had. He had a slightly frustrated expression. I looked down again. That's Edward. He's gorgeous, of course, but don't waste your time. He doesn't date. Apparently none of the girls here are good-looking enough for him. She sniffed, a clear case of sour grapes. I wondered when he had turned her down. I bit my lip to hide my smile and glanced at him again. His face was turned away, but I thought his cheek appeared lifted, as if he was smiling too. After a few more minutes, the four of them left the table together. They all were noticeably graceful, even the big brawny one. It was unsettling to watch. The one named Edward didn't look at me again. I sat at the table with Jessica and her friends longer than I would have if I'd been sitting alone. I was anxious not to be late for class on my first day. One of my new acquaintances, who considerately reminded me her name was Angela, had biology too with me for the next hour. We walked to class together in silence. She was shy too. When we entered the classroom, Angela went to sit at a black-topped lab table, exactly like ones that I was used to. She already had a neighbor. In fact, all the tables were filled but one, next to center aisle. I recognized Edward Cullen by his unusual hair, sitting next to that single open seat. As I walked down the aisle to introduce myself to the teacher and get my slip signed, I was watching him surreptitiously. Just as I passed, he suddenly went rigid in his seat. He stared at me again, meeting my eyes with the strangest expression on his face. It was hostile, furious. I looked away quickly, shocked, going red again. I stumbled over a book in the walkway and had to catch myself on the edge of a table. The girl sitting there giggled. I'd noticed his eyes were black. Coal black. Mr. Banner signed my slip and handed me a book with no nonsense about introductions. I could tell we were going to get along. Of course he had no choice but to send me to the one open seat in the middle of the room. I kept my eyes down as I went to sit. By him. Bewildered by the antagonistic stare that he had given me. I didn't look up as I set my book on the table and took my seat but I saw his posture change from the corner of my eye. He was leaning away from me sitting on the extreme edge of his chair and averting his face like he smelled something bad. Inconspicuously I sniffed my hair it smelled like strawberries the scent of my favourite shampoo. It seemed an innocent enough odour I let my hair fall over my right shoulder, making a dark curtain between us, and tried to pay attention to the teacher. Unfortunately, the lecture was on cellular anatomy, something I'd already studied. I took notes carefully anyway, always looking down. I couldn't stop myself from peeking occasionally through the screen of my hair at the strange boy next to me. During the whole class, he never relaxed his stiff position on the edge of his chair, sitting as far from me as possible. I could see his hand on his left leg was clenched into a fist, tendons standing out under his pale skin. This too, he never relaxed. He had the long sleeves of his white shirt pushed up to his elbows and his forearm was surprisingly hard and muscular beneath his light skin. He wasn't nearly as slight as he had looked next to his burly brother. The class seemed to drag on longer than the others, Was it because the day was finally coming to a close or because I was waiting for his tight fist to loosen? It never did. He continued to sit so still that it looked like he wasn't breathing. What was wrong with him? Was this his normal behavior? I questioned my judgment on Jessica's bitterness at lunch today. Maybe she was not as resentful as I'd thought. It couldn't have anything to do with me. He, He didn't know me from Eve. I peeked up at him one more time and I regretted it. He was glaring down at me again, his black eyes full of revulsion. As I flinched away from him shrinking against my chair, the phrase, if orcs could kill, ran through my mind. At that moment, the bell rang loudly, making me jump, and Edward Cullen was out of his seat. Fluidly, he rose. He was much taller than I'd thought. His back to me, he was out of the door before anyone else was out of their seat. I sat frozen in my seat staring blankly after him he was so mean it wasn't fair I began gathering up my things slowly trying to block the anger that filled me for fear my eyes would tear up for some reason my temper was hardwired to my tear ducts I usually cried when I was angry a humiliating tendency aren't you Isabella Swan a male voice asked I looked up to see a cute baby-faced boy with pale blonde hair carefully gelled into orderly spikes, smiling at me in a friendly way. He obviously didn't think I smelled bad. Bella, I corrected him with a smile. I'm Mike. Hi, Mike. Do you need any help finding your next class? I'm headed to the gym, actually. I I think I can find it. That's my next class, too. He seemed thrilled. It wasn't that big of a coincidence in a school this small. We walked to class together. He was a chatterer. He supplied most of the conversation, which made it easy for me. He'd lived in California till he was ten, so he knew how I felt about the sun. It turned out he was in my English class also. He was the nicest person I'd met today. As we were entering the gym, he asked, Did you stab Edward Cullen with a pencil or what? I've never seen him act like that. I cringed, so I wasn't the only one who had noticed, and apparently that wasn't Edward Cullen's usual behavior. I decided to play dumb. Was that the boy that I sat next to in biology? I asked artlessly. Yes, he said. He looked like he was in pain or something. I don't know, I responded. I I never spoke to him. He's a weird guy. Mike lingered by me instead of heading to the dressing room. If I were lucky enough to sit by you, I would have talked to you. I smiled at him before walking through the girls' locker room door. He was friendly and clearly admiring, but it wasn't enough to ease my irritation. The gym teacher, Coach Clapp, found me a uniform, but didn't make me dress down for today's class. At home, only two years of PE were required. Here, PE was mandatory for all four years. Forks was literally my personal hell on earth I watched four volleyball games Running simultaneously Remembering how many injuries I'd sustained and inflicted playing volleyball I felt faintly nauseated The final bell rang at last and I walked slowly to the office to return my paperwork The rain had drifted away but the wind was strong and colder I wrapped my arms around myself When I walked into the warm office, I almost turned around and walked back out. Edward Cullen stood at the desk in front of me. I recognized again that bronze hair. He didn't appear to notice the sound of my entrance, and I stood pressed against the back wall, waiting for the receptionist to be free. He was arguing with her, in a low, attractive voice. I quickly picked up the gist of the argument. He was trying to trade from sixth-hour biology to another time, any other time. I just couldn't believe that this was about me. It had to be something else, something that happened before I entered the biology room. The look on his face must have been about another aggravation entirely. It was impossible that this stranger could take such a sudden, intense dislike to me. The door opened again and the cold wind gusted through the room, rustling the papers on the desk, swirling my hair around my face. The girl who came in merely stepped to the desk, placed a note in the wire basket and walked out again. But Edward Cullen's back stiffened. He turned slowly to glare at me. His face was absurdly handsome, with piercing, hate-filled eyes. For an instant I felt the thrill of genuine fear, raising the hair on my arms. The look only lasted a second, but it chilled me more than the freezing wind. He turned back to the receptionist. Never mind then, he said, in a voice like velvet. I can see that it's impossible. Thank you so much for your help. He turned on his heel without another look at me and disappeared out the door. I went meekly to the desk, my face white for once instead of red, and handed her the signed slip. How did your first day go, dear, the receptionist asked maternally. Fine, I lied, my voice weak. She didn't look convinced. When I got to the truck, it was almost the last car in the lot. It seemed like a haven already the closest thing to home that I had in this damp green hole. I sat inside for a while, just staring out at the windshield blankly. Soon I was cold enough to need the heater, so I turned the key and the engine roared to life. I headed back to Charlie's house, fighting tears the whole way there. Chapter 2 Open Book The next day was better and worse. It was better because it wasn't raining yet, though the clouds were dense and opaque. It was easier because I knew what to expect of my day. Mike came to sit by me in English and walked me to my next class, with chess club Eric glaring at him all the while. That was flattering. People didn't look at me quite as much as they had yesterday. I sat with a big group at lunch that included Mike, Eric, Jessica, and several other people whose names and faces I now remembered. I began to feel like I was treading water, instead of drowning in it. It was worse because I was tired. I still couldn't sleep with the wind echoing around the house. It was worse because Mr. Varner called on me in trig when my hand wasn't raised, and I had the wrong answer. It was miserable because I had to play volleyball, and the one time I didn't cringe out of the way of the ball, I hit my teammate in the head with it. And it was worse because Edward Cullen wasn't in school at all. All morning I was dreading lunch, fearing his bizarre glares. Part of me wanted to confront him and demand to know what his problem was. While I was lying sleepless in my bed, I even imagined what I would say. But I knew myself too well to think I would really have the guts to do it. I made the cowardly lion look like the Terminator. But when I walked into the cafeteria with Jessica, trying to keep my eyes from sweeping the place for him and failing entirely... I saw that his four siblings of sorts were sitting together at the same table, and he was not with them. Mike intercepted us and steered us to his table. Jessica seemed elated by the attention, and her friends quickly joined us, but as I tried to listen to their easy chatter I was terribly uncomfortable, waiting nervously for the moment that he would arrive. I hoped that he would simply ignore me when he came and prove my suspicions false. He didn't come, and as time passed I grew more and more tense. I walked to biology with more confidence when by the end of lunch he still hadn't showed. Mike, who was taking on the qualities of a golden retriever, walked faithfully by my side to class. I held my breath at the door. But Edward Cullen wasn't there. I exhaled and went to my seat. Mike followed, talking about an upcoming trip to the beach. He lingered by my desk until the bell rang. Then he smiled at me wistfully and went to sit by a girl with braces and a bad perm. It looked like I was going to have to do something about Mike and it wouldn't be easy. In a town like this, where everyone lived on top of everyone else, diplomacy was essential. I had never been enormously tactful. I had no practice dealing with overly friendly boys. I was relieved that I had the desk to myself. That Edward was absent. I told myself that repeatedly, but... I couldn't get rid of the nagging suspicion that I was the reason he wasn't there. It was ridiculous and egotistical to think that I could affect anyone that strongly. It was impossible, and yet I couldn't stop worrying that it was true. When the school day was finally done and the blush was fading out of my cheeks from the volleyball incident, I changed quickly back into my jeans and navy blue sweater. I hurried from the girls' locker room, pleased to find that I had successfully evaded my retriever friend for the moment. I walked swiftly out to the parking lot. It was crowded, with fleeing students. I got in my truck and dug through my bag to make sure I had what I needed. Last night I had discovered that Charlie couldn't cook much besides fried eggs and bacon, so I requested I be assigned kitchen detail for the duration of my stay. He was willing enough to hand over the keys to the banquet hall. I also found out that he had no food in the house, so I had my shopping list and the cash from the jar in the cupboard labelled food money, and I was on my way to the thriftway. I gunned my deafening engine to life, ignoring the heads that turned in my direction, and I backed carefully into a place in the line of cars that were waiting to exit the parking lot. As I waited, trying to pretend that the ear-splitting rumble was coming from someone else's car, I saw the two Cullens and the Hale twins getting into their car. It was the shiny new Volvo. Of course, I hadn't noticed their clothes before. I'd been too mesmerized by their faces. Now that I looked, it was obvious. They were all dressed exceptionally well, simply, but in clothes that subtly hinted at designer origins. With their remarkable good looks, the style with which they carried themselves, they could have worn dish racks and pulled it off. It seemed excessive for them to have looks and money, but as far as I could tell, life worked that way most of the time. It didn't look as if it bought them any acceptance here, though. No, I didn't fully believe that. The isolation must be their desire. I couldn't imagine any door that wouldn't be opened by that degree of beauty. They looked at my noisy truck as I passed them, just like everyone else. I kept my eyes straight forward, and was relieved when I finally was free of the school grounds. The thriftway was not far from school, just a few streets south off the highway. It was nice to be inside the supermarket It felt normal I did the shopping at home And I fell into the pattern of the familiar task gladly The store was big enough inside That I couldn't hear the tapping of the rain on the roof To remind me where I was When I got home I unloaded all the groceries Stuffing them wherever I could find an open space I hoped Charlie wouldn't mind I wrapped potatoes in foil and stuck them in the oven to bake. I covered a steak in marinade and balanced it on top of a carton of eggs in the fridge. When I was finished with that, I took my book bag upstairs. Before starting my homework, I changed into a pair of dry sweats, pulled my damp hair up into a ponytail, and checked my email for the first time. I had three messages. Bella, my mum wrote write me as soon as you get in tell me how your flight was is it raining I miss you already I'm almost finished packing for Florida but I can't find my pink blouse do you know where I put it Phil says hi mum I sighed and went to the next it was sent eight hours after the first Bella she wrote why haven't you emailed me yet what are you waiting for Mum The last was from this morning. Isabella If I haven't heard from you by 5:30 p.m. today, I'm calling Charlie. I checked the clock. I still had an hour. But my mum was well known for jumping the gun. Mum Calm down. I'm writing right now. Don't do anything rash. Bella I sent that and began again. Um, everything is great. Of course it's raining. I was waiting for something to write about. School isn't bad. Just a little repetitive. I met some nice kids who sit by me at lunch. Your blouse is at the dry cleaners. You were supposed to pick it up Friday. Charlie bought me a truck. Can you believe it? I love it. It's old, but really sturdy, which is good, you know, for me. I miss you too. I'll write again soon, but I'm not going to check my email every five minutes. Relax. Breathe. I love you. Bella. I had decided to read Wuthering Heights, the novel that we were currently studying in English, yet again for the fun of it, and that's what I was doing when Charlie came home. I'd lost track of the time, and I hurried downstairs to take the potatoes out and put the steak in to broil. Bella, my father called out when he heard me on the stairs. Who else, I thought to myself. Hey dad, welcome home. Thanks. He hung up his gun belt and stepped out of his boots as I bustled about in the kitchen. As far as I was aware, he had never shot the gun on the job, but he kept it ready. When I came here as a child, he'd always remove the bullets as soon as he walked in the door. I guess he considered me old enough now not to shoot myself by accident, and not depressed enough to shoot myself on purpose. What's for dinner? he asked warily. My mother was an imaginative cook, and her experiments weren't always edible. I was surprised and sad that he seemed to remember that far back. Steak and potatoes, I answered. He looked relieved. He seemed to feel awkward, standing in the kitchen doing nothing. He lumbered into the living room to watch TV while I worked. We were both more comfortable that way. I made a salad while the steaks cooked and I set the table. I called him in when dinner was ready and he sniffed appreciatively as he walked into the room. Smells good, Bill. Thanks. We ate in silence for a few minutes. It wasn't uncomfortable. Neither of us was bothered by the quiet. In some ways, we were well-suited to live together. So how do you like school? Have you made any friends? He asked as he was taking seconds. Well, I have a few classes with a girl named Jessica. I sit with her friends at lunch, and there's this boy, Mike, who's very friendly. Everybody seems pretty nice, with one outstanding exception. Ah, that must be Mike Newton. Nice kid. Nice family. His dad owns the sporting goods store just outside of town. He makes a good living off all the backpackers who come through here. Do you know the Cullen family? I asked hesitantly. Dr. Cullen's family? Sure. Dr. Cullen's a great man. The kids are a little different. They don't seem to fit in very well at school. Charlie surprised me by looking angry. "'People in this town,' he muttered. "'Dr. Cullen is a brilliant surgeon who could probably work in any hospital in the world. Make ten times the salary he gets here,' he continued, getting louder. "'We're lucky to have him. Lucky that his wife wanted to live in a small town. He's an asset to the community, and all of those kids are well-behaved and polite. I I had my doubts when they first moved in with all these adopted teenagers.' I thought we might have some problems with them, but they're all very mature. I haven't had one speck of trouble from any of them, and that's more than I can say for the children of some folks who have lived in this town for generations. And they stick together the way that a family should. Camping trips every other weekend. Just because they're newcomers, people have to talk. It was the longest speech I'd ever heard Charlie make. You must feel strongly about whatever people were saying. I backpedaled. They seemed nice enough to me, I just noticed that they kept to themselves. They're all very attractive, I added, trying to be more complimentary. You should see the doctor, Charlie said, laughing. It's a good thing he's happily married. A lot of the nurses at the hospital have a hard time concentrating on their work with him around. We lapsed back into silence as we finished eating. He cleared the table while I started on the dishes. He went back to the TV and after I finished washing the dishes by hand, no dishwasher, I went upstairs unwillingly to work on my math homework. I could feel the tradition in the making. That night it was finally quiet. I fell asleep, quickly, exhausted. The rest of the week was uneventful. I got used to the routine of my classes and by Friday I was able to recognize if not name almost all of the students at school. In gym the kids on my team learned not to pass me the ball and to step quickly in front of me if the other team tried to take advantage of my weakness. I happily stayed out of their way. Edward Cullen didn't come back to school. Every day I watched anxiously until the rest of the Cullens entered the cafeteria without him. Then I could relax and join in the lunchtime conversation. Mostly, it centered around a trip to La Push Ocean Park in two weeks that Mike was putting together. I was invited and I had agreed to go more out of politeness than desire. Beaches should be hot and dry. By Friday, I was... Perfectly comfortable entering my biology class. No longer worried that Edward would be there. For all I knew, he had dropped out of school. I tried not to think about him. But I couldn't totally suppress the worry that I was responsible for his continued absence. Ridiculous as it seemed. My first weekend in Forks Passed without incident. Charlie, unused to spending time in the usually empty house, worked most of the weekend. I cleaned the house I got ahead on my homework, and I wrote my mum more bogusly cheerful emails. I did drive to the library Saturday, but it was so poorly stocked that I didn't bother to get a card. I would have to make a date to visit Olympia or Seattle soon, and find a good bookstore. I wondered idly what kind of gas mileage that truck got, and I shuddered at the thought. The rain stayed soft over the weekend, quiet, so I was able to sleep well. People greeted me in the parking lot Monday morning. I didn't know all of their names, but I waved back and I smiled at everyone. It was colder in the morning, but happily not raining. In English, Mike took his accustomed seat by my side. We had a pop quiz on Wuthering Heights. It was straightforward, very easy. All in all, I was feeling a lot more comfortable than I had thought I would feel by this point. More comfortable than I had ever expected to feel here. When we walked out of class, the air was full of swirling bits of white. I could hear people shouting excitedly to each other. The wind bit at my cheeks, my nose. Wow, Mike said. It's snowing. I looked at the little cotton fluffs that were building up along the sidewalk and swirling erratically past my face. Ew, snow. There went my good day. He looked surprised. Don't you like snow? No. That means it's too cold for rain. Obviously. Besides, I thought it was supposed to come down in flakes. You know, each one unique and all that. These just look like the ends of Q-tips. Haven't you ever seen snowfall before, he asked. Sure I have. I paused. On TV. Mike laughed. And then a big, squishy ball of dripping snow smacked into the back of his head. We both turned to see where it came from. I had my suspicions about Eric who was walking away his back towards us in the wrong direction for the next class. Mike apparently had the same notion. He bent over and began scraping together a pile of the white mush. I'll see you at lunch, okay? I kept walking as I spoke. Once people start throwing wet stuff, I go inside. He just nodded his eyes on Eric's retreating figure. Throughout the morning, everyone chattered excitedly about the snow. Apparently, it was the first snowfall of the new year. I kept my mouth shut, sure it was drier than rain until it melted in your socks. I walked alertly to the cafeteria with Jessica after Spanish. Mushballs were flying everywhere. I kept a binder in my hands, ready to use it as a shield if necessary. Jessica thought I was hilarious, but something in my expression kept her from lobbing a snowball at me herself. Mike caught up with us as we walked indoors, laughing, with ice melting the spikes in his hair. He and Jessica were talking animatedly about the snow fight as we got in line to buy food. I glanced towards the table in the corner out of habit And then I froze where I stood There were five people at the table Jessica pulled on my arm Hello, Bella, what do you want? I looked down, my ears were hot I had no reason to feel self-conscious I reminded myself I hadn't done anything wrong What's with Bella, Mike asked Jessica Nothing, I answered I'll just get a soda today I caught up with the end of the line Aren't you hungry? Jessica asked Actually I Feel a little sick, I said My eyes were still on the floor I waited for them to get their food And then I followed them to a table My eyes on my feet I sipped my soda Slowly My stomach churning Twice Mike asked with unnecessary concern How I was feeling And I told him it was nothing but I was wondering if I should play it up and escape to the nurse's office for the next hour. Ridiculous, I shouldn't have to run away. I decided to permit myself one glance at the Cullen family table. If he was glaring at me, I would skip biology like the coward I was. I kept my head down, and I glanced up under my lashes. None of them were looking this way. I lifted my head a little. They were laughing. Edward, Jasper and Emmett all had their hair entirely saturated with melting snow. Alice and Rosalie were leaning away as Emmett shook his hair dripping towards them. They were enjoying the snowy day just like everyone else. Only they looked more like a scene from a movie than the rest of us. Aside from the laughter and the playfulness, there was something different, and I couldn't quite pinpoint what the difference was. I examined Edward the most carefully. His skin was less pale, I decided, flushed from the snow fight maybe. The circles under his eyes were much less noticeable, but there was something more. I pondered, staring trying to isolate the change. Bella, what are you staring at? Jessica intruded her eyes following my stare. At that precise moment, his eyes flashed over to meet mine. I dropped my head. I let my hair fall to conceal my face. I was sure that in that instant our eyes met, that he didn't look harsh or unfriendly as he had the last time I had seen him. He looked merely curious again. Unsatisfied in some way. Edward Cullen is staring at you. Jessica giggled in my ear. He doesn't look angry, does he? I couldn't help asking. No, she said, sounding confused by my question. Should he be? I don't think he likes me. I still felt queasy. I put my head down on my arm. The Cullens don't like anybody. Well, they don't notice anybody enough to like them, but... He's still staring at you. Stop looking at him, I hissed. She snickered, but she looked away. I raised my head enough to make sure that she did, contemplating violence if she resisted. Mike interrupted us then. He was planning an epic battle of the blizzard in the parking lot after school and wanted us to join. Jessica agreed enthusiastically. The way she looked at Mike left little doubt that she would be up for anything that he suggested. I kept silent. I would have to hide in the gym until the parking lot was cleared. For the rest of the lunch hour, I very carefully kept my eyes at my own table. I decided to honor the bargain that I'd made with myself since he didn't look angry, I would go to biology. My stomach did frightened little flips at the thought of sitting next to him again. I didn't really want to walk to class with Mike as usual, he seemed to be a popular target for snowball snipers, but when we went to the door, everyone besides me groaned in unison. It was raining, washing all traces of the snow away. In clear, icy ribbons down the side of the walkway, I pulled my hood up, secretly pleased. I would be free to go straight home after Jim. Mike kept up with a string of complaints on the way to building four. Once inside the classroom, I saw with relief that my table was still empty. Mr. Banner was walking around the room, distributing one microscope and a box of slides to each table. Class did not start for a few minutes, and the room buzzed with conversation. I kept my eyes away from the door, doodling idly on the cover of my notebook. I heard very clearly when the chair next to me moved, but my eyes stayed, carefully focused on the pattern that I was drawing. Hello, said a quiet musical voice. I looked up, stunned that he was speaking to me. He was sitting as far away from me as the desk allowed, but his chair was angled towards me. His hair was dripping wet, disheveled. Even so, he looked like he'd just finished shooting a commercial for hair gel. His dazzling face was friendly, open, a slight smile on flawless lips, but his eyes were careful. My name is Edward Cullen, he continued. I didn't have a chance to introduce myself last week. You must be Bella Swan. My mind was spinning with confusion. Had I made up the whole thing? He was perfectly polite now. I had to speak, he was waiting but I couldn't think of anything conventional to say. Uh, How do you know my name? I stammered. He laughed, a soft, enchanting laugh. Oh, I think everyone knows your name. The whole town's been waiting for you to arrive. I grimaced. I knew it was something like that. No, I persisted stupidly. I meant, why did you call me Bella? Bella. He seemed confused. Do you prefer Isabella? No, I like Bella, I said. But I think Charlie, I mean, my dad must call me Isabella behind my back. That's what everyone here seems to know me as. I tried to explain, feeling like an utter moron. Oh. He let it drop. I looked away, awkwardly. Thankfully, Mr. Banner started class at that moment. I tried to concentrate as he explained the lab that we would be doing today. The slides in the box were out of order. Working as lab partners, we had to separate the slides of onion root-tipped cells into phases of mitosis that they represented and label them accordingly. We weren't supposed to use our books. In twenty minutes, he would be coming around to see who had it right. Get started, he commanded. Ladies first. Partner. Partner. Edward asked I looked up to see him smiling A crooked smile so beautiful That I could only stare at him like an idiot Or I could start if you wish The smile faded He was obviously wondering If I was mentally competent Uh, no, I said Flushing, I'll go ahead I was showing off Just a little I'd already done this lab And I knew what I was looking for It should be easy I snapped the first slide into place under the microscope and adjusted it quickly to the 40 times objective. I studied the slide briefly. My assessment was confident. Pro-face, I said. Do you mind if I look, he asked, as I began to remove the slide. His hand caught mine to stop me. His fingers were ice-cold like he'd been holding them in a snowdrift before class but that wasn't why I jerked my hand away so quickly. When he touched me, it stung my hand, as if an electric current had passed through it. Oh, I'm sorry, he muttered, pulling his hand back immediately. He continued to reach for the microscope. I watched him still staggered as he examined the slide for an even shorter time than I had. Pro-face, he agreed writing it neatly in the first space on our worksheet. He swiftly switched out the first slide for the second, and then glanced at it, cursorily. Anaphase, he murmured, writing it down as he spoke. I kept my voice indifferent. May I? He smirked and pushed the microscope to me. I looked through the eyepiece eagerly, only to be disappointed. Dang it. He was right. Slide three. I held out my hand without looking at him. He handed it to me. It seemed like he was being careful not to touch my skin again. I took the most fleeting look that I could manage. Interface. I passed him the microscope before he could ask for it. He took a swift peek and wrote it down. I would have written it while he looked, but his clear, elegant script intimidated me. I didn't want to spoil the page with my clumsy scrawl. We were finished before anyone else was close. I could see Mike and his partner comparing two slides again and again, and another group had their book open under the table, which left me with nothing to do but try not to look at him. Unsuccessfully. I glanced up, and he was staring at me. That same inexplicable look of frustration in his eyes. Suddenly, I identified the subtle difference in his face. Did you get contacts, I blurted out unthinkingly. He seemed puzzled by my unexpected question. No? Oh. I thought there was something different about your eyes. He shrugged and looked away. In fact, I was sure there was something different. I vividly remembered the flat black colour of his eyes the last time he glared at me. The colour was striking against the background of his pale skin and his auburn hair. Today, his eyes were a completely different colour. A strange ochre, darker than butterscotch, but with the same golden tone. I didn't understand how that could be unless he was lying for some reason about the contacts, or maybe Forks was making me crazy in the literal sense of the word. I looked down. His hands were clenched into hard fists again. Mr. Banner came to our table then to see why we weren't working. He looked over our shoulders to glance at the completed lab and stared more intently to check the answers. So, Edward... Didn't you think Isabella should get a chance with the microscope? Mr. Banner asked. Bella, Edward corrected automatically. Actually, she identified three of the five. Mr. Banner looked at me now. His expression was skeptical. Have you done this lab before, he asked. I smiled sheepishly. Not with onion root. Whitefish blastula. Yeah. Mr. Banner nodded. Were you in an advanced placement program in Phoenix? Yes. Well, he said after a moment. I guess it's good you two are lab partners. He mumbled something else as he walked away, and after he left, I began doodling on my notebook. Again.